listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. If you got your Bibles, I want you to open to Luke chapter 2. We are, I'm teaching through the book of Luke, and so we come to an odd passage for some of you. You're thinking, it's not Christmas time. Well, we don't have services during the Christmas time, so if I get to preach on the birth of Christ, I have to do it in May or uh, some other time during the summer. So while you're finding that, I want to ask you this question. How, how would you complete, don't answer this out loud, just think about, how do you complete this sentence now? I've got good news. Well, unfortunately, in our society, that would be followed by, I just saved a bunch of money by switching my car insurance. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, I wonder sometime in the day and age that we live in if we even recognize good news anymore. I think for some people, bad news sounds like good news, and good news sounds like bad news. And I remember something from my childhood, and I actually found it on the Internet this week. How many of you remember Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs? I see one hand. I see a few. I'm not going to sing it. Jeff, I started to get you to play this, but I'm not singing it. I'm just going to say it. I think this kind of capsulizes how some in our society view good and bad news. You've got a picture like Sam singing and the, sh- the Shamettes are backing him up. They start out by saying, oh, that's bad. He says, no, that's good. Not long ago, I was walking down the street when a woman in a car knocked me off my feet. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. My insurance paid me a lot of dough, more money than I'd seen in a year's payroll. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. My doctor's bills were where my money went, and all I had left was a very bad limp. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. Because the way I walked got me a role as the Marshall's partner on a TV show. Pretty young actresses started hanging around, and every night we'd do the town. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. I ended up back in the hospital bed because my horse fell on my bad leg. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. Because just when I was feeling my worst, I fell in love with a beautiful nurse. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. Because I found out she was the doctor's wife. Now I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life. Because no matter how I pleaded and begged, he operated on my good leg. Oh, that's bad. No, that's awful. (laughs) How many of you remember that song? I see the same couple of hands up. We need to go back and uh, look on YouTube today for Sam and the Pharaohs. But listen, what I want to talk to you about today is good news. And really two things I want you to see out of this passage. First of all, I want you to see the humble beginnings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the humility surrounding the birth of Christ. And then, as Jeff has already alluded to and led us in worship today so, so well, is the response to that. Let me begin by reading just the first few verses of this passage in Luke chapter 2. Very familiar passage. I don't know if your family's like mine, but ever since I can remember, this is the passage we would read on Christmas Eve as we thought about uh, the birth of our Lord Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. That was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, 
And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you to see, first of all, the setting of this good news. We looked last week at the birth of John that would go on to be known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And we know that his birth was very closely associated with the birth of Christ. They were about six months apart uh, in age. Uh, Mary, the mother of our Lord, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, were cousins. They were relatives. In fact, they had an encounter while they were pregnant. And it says that the baby inside of Elizabeth leapt as the Savior approached because we, were, we found out last week that uh, it was told that John would be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit even while in his mother's womb. And so we see these similarities to the birth, but now we have this setting of good news. And this seems almost accidental. When you read this, you think, okay, Mary is preparing for the birth of Jesus, We don't know exactly when her due date it was. We know that it was soon, and yet this decree goes out. This decree from the governor that said you've got to return to your hometown to be counted. And uh, these, if you look at history, this was not all that unusual. In fact, most of these decrees, and this would have covered the entire Roman Empire, these would take years to complete. So I don't know how word traveled back then. Obviously, it wasn't by uh, instant messenger or text message or email or phone call, but a decree went out. And so probably somebody rode into your town with an official document reading it from uh, the rulers, and they said, you've got to get ready. You've got to go and be counted. You've got to go back to your hometown uh, to be counted. In fact, some translation says to be taxed. That's not the literal word. literal word simply means to be counted. Now, that probably would be used later for taxation, but it was also probably just to determine what is your property, what belongs to you, who is still living that owns this, and so that is the decree. We know that it took days for them to get back to their hometown. They're, they're traveling to Bethlehem. As the crow flies, it's about 70 miles. It would have taken at least three or four days for you to get there if you weren't pregnant. And so the fact that they were pregnant, that, that Mary was great with child, as the Bible says, uh, would have slowed them down a little bit. And so they get into Bethlehem, this town. That The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Anytime you see the word Beth in Hebrew, it means house. Uh, you may see some synagogues that are like Beth Shalom. That simply means house of peace. In this case, Bethlehem means house of bread which I think is particularly interesting because the bread of life, Jesus, was born in a town called the House of Bread. It's the city of David, Bethlehem. We find them getting there, and all of a sudden they realize the days are complete. Literally, their, their days have filled up. The days are full. It's time for Mary to give birth to her son. Now, I don't know what was going on in her mind. I don't know what was going on in Joseph's mind, but I would imagine if I was in their shoes, I would have thought, how inconvenient. We're in the wrong place. We had everything arranged for the birth back in Nazareth. That's where we had planned on this taking place. We thought this would be a quick trip. It was only going to take a couple of weeks to come over, fulfill this duty to be counted. We'd be back. We thought we had plenty of time, and the days were completed. And yet we know better than that. We know that although it may have been the Roman government that planned this census, it was all part of God's plan. 330 times in the Old Testament, the, there's prophecies about Jesus Christ, and several of them 
refer specifically to his birth. In fact, in Micah, his account is that it would happen in Bethlehem. That, that, this was not an accident. We look back on it and realize it had to happen in Bethlehem. It fulfilled the prophecy. In fact, if you had known it had to happen in Bethlehem and you're thinking she's in Nazareth, how is she ever going to get to Bethlehem 70 miles away? You wouldn't do that. And yet this edict comes from the government that says you must be back in your hometown. And so they go to Bethlehem, and that's where the days are fulfilled, the days are completed, and the birth occurs. I want you to see four things in this, this part of the passage that indicates the humility, the, the humble beginnings of our Savior. It says that she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths. Some translations say swaddling clothes, and that's what they are. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But she wrapped him. There's no indication that there was a doctor there. There's no indication there was a nurse or a midwife. In fact, I've studied the passage carefully. I don't even see what Joseph is doing at this moment. You know, I don't know if he's like out in the waiting room like men used to do. Or perhaps when he realized she's about to give birth, perhaps Joseph went to get help. Or he may have been right there. But it says that she wrapped him. There's no fanfare. There's no doctor. There's no team of nurses or a midwife. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords being born on the planet Earth. And yet it happens in a really obscure location. It happens with no fanfare. It doesn't happen in a hospital. It doesn't even happen in an inn. It happens really in a stable. So the first thing we see is that she wraps him. Secondly, she wraps him in cloth, just some strips of cloth. I don't know about y'all, we, we have four children, and I just remember what a great preparation it was to, to buy things and have things ready. And I'm sure that they had prepared for these types of things to take place back in Nazareth. But they didn't plan on the birth taking place in Bethlehem. So we didn't, they didn't have the things that perhaps they would have normally put Jesus in. And, and yet swaddling cloths were a part of the tradition of the Hebrew people. In fact, when a baby was born, they would wash him or her in water. And they would rub them with salt. Now, I don't understand that, but that's what they did in the Hebrew culture. And then would wrap them in some cloth to kind of confine the limbs and make them secure. And so that's how a newborn baby would have been prepared. And yet, that's what Mary had to do. Third, she laid him in a manger. There wasn't a crib. I imagine back in Nazareth, they had a crib for Little baby Jesus. It may have been one that had been passed down through the family, or it may have been one that his father, a carpenter, had built, that Joseph had built. And yet there wasn't any of those things. They placed him in a manger. And we know what that means. It's a feeding trough. This wasn't a place intended for an infant, and it surely wasn't a place intended for Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet that's all she had. So she placed him in a feeding trough. And the last thing of the humility of this event is because there was no room in the inn. Now, I have these pictures of this happening. You know, when I was a kid growing up, how many of you remember flannel graph? Oh, come on, some of you, right? You remember flannel graph? It was that, I don't know, kind of this felt stuff. Some of you teenagers are like, what in the world are you talking about? They would put, you know, you would tell Bible stories by putting things up on this flannel graph stuff. And every picture, how did Mary get to, how did Mary get to Bethlehem? She rode on a donkey. Where do we get that in Scripture? Nowhere. It's not in there. And yet in my mind, I've always got this picture of Mary riding a donkey. Now, ladies, you back me up on this. If you're nine months pregnant, are you going to ride a donkey? 
No. I think the reason there was no room for them in the end is because they were probably the last people to get there. It took them longer to travel because of their circumstances than everybody else. So the three or four day trip probably took them six or seven days. And they had had to spend the night along the way. And now they get there and there's no room in the inn. Second thing from my childhood growing up, who told them there was no room in the inn? Well, the innkeeper did, right? He came, he and his wife, he's holding a broom, he's been sweeping up, closing up for the night, and he tells them there's no room in the inn. Well, there's nowhere in Scripture that talks about the innkeeper. It could very well be that as they approached the inn, the only place in town to stay, they started meeting other people who said there's no place to stay. And in those days when there was no place to stay, you would sleep in the doorway, you may sleep in the courtyard, you would just find a place anywhere near the inn. And I imagine Joseph may have gone and talked to the innkeeper and said, I know you're out of room, but you don't understand. My wife is, is pregnant. We need a place for her to lay her head. And yet we know that even in the midst of all that, there was no room for them in the end. And so she has this baby in what some call a cave or a grotto. Some call it a stable or a barn. Most likely it was wherever the people staying in the hotel kept their animals or the inn would kept their animals. And it may have been in that part of the world. It may have been a cave. It may have been something adjacent to the inn that was dug into the rocks, but it was a place for the animals to stay. It wasn't anything elaborate. It was simply just a, a, a little niche of necessity that would have had a place to feed the animals that were lodging there. And that's where Mary and Joseph are staying for the night. And that's where Jesus is born. Again, you think that's accidental? No. I think it is part of the purpose, the providence of God, that that's where Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven and stepped on the planet earth. The song we sang, Emmanuel, means God with us. God came to dwell among us in human form. He's placed in a manger. My favorite verse, doesn't sound like a Christmas verse, but my favorite verse at Christmas time is 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I don't think we catch the significance of the fact that Jesus Christ did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. That's how, that's the setting of the good news. Let's look at the next point, and that is the announcement of the good news. If you've just had a child, you want to tell somebody, right? When, when our children were born, I had a list of phone numbers that I wanted to call, and I had to tell them. Any other good news, whether it's the birth of a child or a ball game that you've just won or something that's just happened to you, a promotion at work or something, you want to tell somebody, right? Well, Jesus has just been born, and God the Father wanted to tell somebody. So who does He choose to tell? He tells a group of shepherds on a hillside outside of the city. Let me read the following verses then, starting in verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Who does God announce this news to? There's not a flashing sign in Bethlehem. He hasn't gone through the streets and spread the news. It's just in Bethlehem, it's, everybody's asleep. A birth has taken place, but it's no big deal. And yet God lights up a hillside to tell the shepherds. Let me tell you something. Shepherds were despised people. In fact, Genesis tells us that among the Egyptians, they were an abomination. Even among the Hebrew people, they were looked at as kind of outcast and lowly people. They didn't really trust them. In fact, shepherds weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. Shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean, so they weren't able to take a part in part of some of the religious ceremonial rituals. These were not the people you and I would have chosen to tell, and yet God tells this group of shepherds. In fact, it says they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. Probably they were taking turns, maybe three-hour shifts of staying up overnight to keep their shepherd or keep their sheep safe from predators, whether it be the four-legged kind of wolves or maybe even the two-legged kind of bandits that may want to come in and steal the sheep. So that's the setting. They're probably sitting there kind of with one eye closed and one eye opened, and all of a sudden, an angel appears. And it says, The glory of the Lord is shown around them. At this point, there's only one angel, so the them is the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord is all around them. Folks, I think it was like noon at midnight. I remember as a kid waking up every morning to go to school, and my mom would not. I probably was hard to wake up, but she didn't come in and like shake me or anything. She came in, and we had these blinds that you, you know, you pull them, and it kind of wrapped back up around the top. That's how I woke up every morning as a young kid with my mom doing that and singing. So it was just like you know, going from dead asleep, dark to sunlight right in your face. That's what happened to these shepherds. They're watching for predators to occur. They're kind of on the lookout and. All of a sudden, there's an angel. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And the angel says the same thing that most every angel says to start, and that is this. The angel said, don't be afraid. We see that almost every time an angel appears. He has to say, don't be afraid. Why? Because the people were afraid. And one of the reasons they're afraid is it's daylight all of a sudden. And secondly, when you see an angel, you're not sure if it's good news or bad news. It may have been impending doom it may have been the angels come to pronounce judgment and so what does the angel say don't be afraid i'm not here to kill you i'm here to give you good news in fact that's the word we get the word gospel from it's good news in fact it's good news of great joy mega joy because today a savior has been born christ the lord and then the angel told them, how are you going to find this child? Because the angel knows, hey, it's not enough just to hear the good news. You're going to want to go see for yourself. So when you get to Bethlehem, look for a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Folks, as the shepherds went, there may have been one or two other infants, babies in Bethlehem that night. But this would have been the only one laying in a manger. So I get the picture of these shepherds. In fact, it says then the result of the good news is the shepherds say, let's go straight to Bethlehem. I don't know what they thought was going to happen to the sheep. They were there to protect them, but I don't think any of them stayed behind. I think they left the sheep and said, let's go straight. In fact, the word in the original language, we don't have a good way of translating it. They literally say, come on, let's go. What are we waiting for? So they go straight 
to Bethlehem. And I imagine the first place they started looking was in the stables. They're looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they're looking in a stable. And they find Him because they come to see this thing that the angels made known about. In fact, it says they made known the statement. I don't think they just came and talked to Mary and Joseph. I think they became the first evangelist in the New Testament. They were telling everybody, you've got to hear what we just heard. You know, the Savior, the Deliverer that we've been waiting on, the one that has been promised, the one that was prophesied of in the Old Testament 330 times, He's here. He's here. Good news. And then they see Jesus lying in a manger. And as they leave, three last thoughts from this passage. It says, first of all, all who heard wondered. All who heard, I think, means more than just Mary and Joseph. Now, the wise men weren't there yet. It was months later before the wise men get there. The wise men don't come and find Jesus in a manger. He's in a house by this time. But the people around the town that knew something was going on because a bunch of shepherds are coming through town and telling them good news, all of them wondered. Literally, they marveled. They they admired at what they heard. Secondly, it says that Mary treasured and pondered these things. Mary stored up the information that she had. She treasured it. See, she had been visited by an angel too. She knew the purpose of this birth. She had had this encounter with Elizabeth where the the baby leapt in her womb and she knew there's something special here. And then these shepherds come. Listen, guys, we don't get this, but I trust me, moms remember everything that's ever said about their children. And so Mary is pondering, she's thinking on, she's treasuring up everything that she's heard and what these angels, what these shepherds have said they've experienced. And she's treasuring those things in her heart. But then I want you to see what the shepherds do. This is interesting to me. It says the shepherds went back. Where'd they go back to? Shepherds went back to their sheep. But as they went, it said they went back glorifying and praising God. The shepherds went back changed, folks. It wasn't going to be the same for them. They were different. They had been impacted by God, and they recognized that we now have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they told everyone. Well, I told you at the beginning of the message, I wanted you to really see two things, the humble beginnings of our Lord, and then secondly, the response. Let me bring that as we close just into today's language. May of 2009. You've heard the good news. Many of you have even responded to the good news and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me ask you this question as we close. How has it impacted your life past that? See, for the shepherds, they had to tell people. And folks, I think the sad thing is for some of us, we've heard the good news, we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, but it's not changing our life the way it ought to. Yeah, we go back to our job. The shepherds went back to their sheep. And for most of you, God hasn't called you into full-time ministry. He hasn't called you to be a preacher every Sunday, but He's called you to a mission field, and that is to tell other people about the good news. So here's my challenge for you this week. As we leave this place, you're going to encounter people this week who need to hear there's good news. And one of the best ways you can tell them is to tell them what Jesus has done in your life. See, the shepherds told the impact of the angels and what happened on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. Wherever it happened for you, tell them, hey, here's how I was. 
And Jesus Christ stepped into my life, and here's how I am now. Let's continue to share the good news. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we close this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that we have heard the good news. And Lord, we have received it. God, may we never be the same. God, help us as church people. God, to get over some of the things that occupy our mind and our attention and keep us from telling people the good news. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has never received the good news, they've never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray today would be the day that they acknowledge their need of a Savior and they would ask Jesus Christ to step into their life, forgive them of their sin, and become their Lord and Savior. Lord, we love you. Thank you that we can celebrate this event we call Christmas, not just on December the 25th, but throughout the year because it really is good news. We pray this in Jesus' name.